Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 417. Today is June 28th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, with my busy summer travel schedule and with the craziness of this market, I've been pretty busy and I've been remiss about getting episodes up. I apologize for that. I got a lot to say and, you know, it's just less than a week and the Wellsteading podcast will be celebrating its ninth anniversary. So I have a lot to say, but not much time to say it in. I did recently do a presentation and the audio quality of that came out pretty well. So I'm going to play that as this episode. I'm also going to put the accompanying video with that up over my YouTube channel. So those of you that want more detail, you'll be able to see the slides while I talk about them. So here's that presentation, and then I'm going to come back at the end for some final comments. Hey, it's great to be out here tonight. Um, we're going to talk about just a, a mid-year outlook, and this is a great time to do it. We're at the end of the second quarter. Um, everybody's asking, you know, where's the recession? Is the is a recession imminent? We've been hearing about it for 12 to 18 months. Uh, on the other hand, if you look at the chart, we're going to show some of them tonight. We're really looking like it could break out and go on a new record highs. So what's going on? We're going to talk about that. I will touch on the book. Um, I've kind of dusted that off and brought it back out because of the popularity of things like ChatGPT. Um, the book itself, though, is about um, not the hype that we're seeing right now. Uh, in fact, there's a whole section of it talked about the th thinking like a uh, uh, an investor, not a speculator. So don't believe all the hype you hear about new technologies. So, uh, but we will review some of that because a lot of the the whole reason I wrote that book was just not about automation, but was about demographics and all the different investing trends that I see happening, kind of mega trends over the next you know, 10 to 20 years. We'll get into all that. Um, I've got a bunch of slides here and I see some people taking notes. You can do that. I'm gonna put this up, if, if the recording goes well, we're gonna put this up on YouTube as well and I can make the slides available to you. Most of what I'm using is from like the Federal Reserve and other places where you could go reference it and study it on your own if you'd like to do that. Um, so we'll get into it. And I have a pointer. Hopefully I won't hurt anybody with this. I might need this. Okay, like I said, um, you know, here was the market, the high that we hit post-COVID uh, post reopening. And that was uh, about 18 months ago, January of 2022. We had major drawdown. And now here we are. And if you kind of a, a technical chart guy, you can see that pattern. I call it a, I call it a hook pattern. We had a double bottom base that took place last year and we're trying to break out right from that midpoint. And from a technical standpoint, this is a perfect setup to go higher. On the other hand, because we are fighting a really a war in what I'm calling two fronts, come on in. We're calling a, a war on two fronts that um, we could also break down. And we'll get into a little bit of that. Uh, I won't get into a lot of detail on this. Most of the things I have up here in red though, if you'll notice, they're related to the Ukraine war. Um, that I think is the big driver of why we may and may not see a recession. We'll talk about that a little bit as we go. Uh, the other thing I want to point out is with the, with the market, day to day, week to week, month to month, it's not driven by logic. Okay, I've been doing this for over 38 years. I know I always say my, my young boyish good looks, you probably thought I was only 25, but I've been doing this a long time. And what I've learned over the decades is that you know the human emotions of fear and greed are what drive the market day to day. There's no rationality to it. And you can just, as an example of that, 
three months ago, people were literally, uh, you know, wedding to bed, worrying about the banking crisis, the banks were going out of business, okay? I didn't buy that hysteria, just like now we see this major upturn, a lot of it is about five or six companies that are driving artificial intelligence, and that's, that's created a big upsurge. I'm not buying that either. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's all hype and fear and greed. No, I'm sorry, this is the S&P 500. Yep, sorry about that. So, so we, uh, we, we peaked on that just below 4,800 in uh, January, first week or so in January, I believe, 2022, and we're just getting back to that level now. I do have on here too, Nord Stream Pipeline. I, I have been, um, if we have a recession, it's gonna be the most anticipated recession in history. Right? There's never been a time when as many people have been waiting on this recession to happen. I have been um, anti-recession for a long, long time. If you listen to my podcast or see what I've said on, on uh, YouTube, for years and years and years, I've always said there's no recession. You know, I always make the joke, I go to a restaurant, it's full. On a Wednesday night in the middle of nowhere, the restaurant's full, it's like, it's a great economy, how could there be a recession? I started to sour on that the fourth quarter of last year. A number of reasons for that, mostly related to the Federal Reserve, which we're gonna talk about, but also because September 26th was when the Nord Stream pipeline got blown up, okay? And whether the Russians did it or the US did it, or who, I don't care who did it. That is a major event, and I still anticipate another combat boot to drop. Uh, that, was, uh, that was a major, you know, that was the kind of damage to civilian infrastructure major international civilian infrastructure that we haven't seen in 80 years. And that, that worried me, that really, and still worries me. I'm gonna go through these charts really quick, okay? Because I already spent 10 minutes too long on that one. And I will be here all night. So I'm gonna go quick, and if we have any questions, uh, we can always do it offline too as well. So, like I said, nearly 40 years of investing. We're at a crossroads. I've never seen a market with this much of a conundrum in terms of a recession. Like I say, day to day, I have no idea what the market's gonna do, but generally, you can call a recession, okay? But, but now, in this market, I would, thought we would have had a recession in February or March. It's shocking to me that we've gone this long without one. The reason that it's so easy to predict a recession is because they're essentially all the same. It's a business cycle, okay? And we've had business cycles as long as there's been an economy. It doesn't matter if, um, it doesn't matter if, I'll, I'll let him get calmed down a second. I have eight grandchildren and someone's always crying. Uh, so I'm used to kids. You know, if you look at the business cycle though, you can go back to biblical days and you know, seven years of fat, seven years of famine. Uh, there, there's always a business cycle. In our modern times and especially in the last 80 to 100 years, we have the Federal Reserve come in and try and influence the business cycle. They haven't eliminated it. Sometimes they make it worse, sometimes they make it better, sometimes they delay it, sometimes they pull it forward. Uh, but there always is a business cycle and they're fairly easy to pick out. Uh, what, you, what you can't pick out from a stock market or an economic standpoint is which sectors, and I, I realize in the back you probably can't see these, but these are all the different sectors of the, of the S&P 500. And they, they all, um, can start firing at different points coming out of the recession. And, you know, oftentimes though it's finance and real estate, consumer discretionary, we refer to those as kind of cyclical sectors. 
Um, late stage is energy materials, and as we get to where we are right now, it's things like uh, consumer staples, healthcare, utilities. Um, they come and go, they can go different places, but generally that's the way it works. There's some kind of a panic. Just in the last three years, it was a, uh, a pandemic. 15 years ago, it was a, a housing crisis. 20 years before that, it was an internet bubble. You know, it, it could be an act of nature, it could be an act of war, it could be policies of a government. These things change in terms of what causes them, but we always see the same pattern. You have a slowdown in business, people panic, they stop spending, governments step in, they start stimulating, things start getting better, the government overstimulates, and there's way too much money in the system, you get fraud and abuse and zombie companies and people spending money that, you know, because money's free, it happens, it just doesn't happen now. The, the meme stocks and things that we've seen in the last couple years or um, um, FTX, the uh, uh, cryptocurrency fraud over and over again, right? 2008, it was Bernie Madoff. 2022, it was FTX. It, there's always something, and it, it just goes on and on. So you have that unwinding of all the speculation, all the fraud, the froth comes out of the system, and then we start back over again, right? The, it's the end, the Fed starts tightening to, to pull the money out, and we go back to another cycle. It happens over and over and over again. Again, the only time it was different this time is it hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen the actual bottom. And by the way, depression, in economic terms, this is called a depression. When you get that pull down in the, in the, in the curve, no one calls it that anymore because they're all afraid from you know, the Great Depression. But the actual term is a depression. Anytime you have a downturn in the market, it's a depression. We call it recession, but it's actually a depression. Not always, but oftentimes, right? Like I say, the, the business cycle is a business cycle. It's going to happen. The government can either the government and/or the Federal Reserve or central bank or whatever the powers are that be, they can make it better or worse. And um, sometimes they actually don't pull us out of it. Sometimes they delay it. I, I think you can argue that the Great Depression was caused much more by the Federal Reserve putting on the brakes and, and not pulling us out of it in time. In our modern day, we think that they always pull us out of it, and sometimes they won't. So as far as the case for the recession, again, I'll tell you, in 40 years, I've never seen a better case for a recession than we're in right now. And, I, and I, again, I don't say that lightly. I'm usually the optimistic guy that says there's no chance we're going to have a recession. But there's two big things that are flashing now that where I think it's going to be a recession and a likely bear market in the, in the stock market, even if it's brief. We're going to talk about those. And I do want to point these out, and the charts I'm going to show you here are not my own. I pulled them from the Federal Reserve and other places. The important thing to remember with that, though, is that the media is always going to tell you there's a disaster, right? It's like the weatherman. It's always like there's a snowstorm coming. Tune in at 11 to find out. Um, so the media is always going to hype neg negative things. They're going to call nine out of two recessions. Uh, if you just watch these two things I'm going to show you, you'll be able to pretty much predict any recession other than this one, which hasn't happened yet. Okay, so we're looking at leading economic indicators and interest rates. This is a chart from the conference board. I think it's the best, the best source for unbiased information that's hard to manipulate. Okay, and if I had only one source, I would use this to predict a, re a recession. 
Again, it's available on their website. They put it out the middle, usually about the 18th of every month. And what this is over a 20-some year span. We've been in decline for the last 14 consecutive months. The only time in, in more than 20 years that that's happened, that we've been this low, uh, where it was worse than this. this, this I'm sorry, two of these. These gray lines are recessions. This is the pandemic. We have the 2008 housing crisis and the dot-com bubble. The only time we've been this far, this fast, and this long, other than the, um, the pandemic, which I don't even really count as a recession, was in 2008. That was the only other one that was most severe for the last really 70 years. So by all means, just by this chart alone, we should already be in a recession, but we're not, okay? Something else I wanna point out in this, and, and by the way, what this is measuring is this is change in growth over like a six month period. And, and they measure 10 or 12 different indicators. The stock market is one of them, Federal Reserve interest rates, different things uh, are, are put into this. Uh, but again, I think, it's, I think it's really the best method out there. What I wanna point out though is, this is like 2018, pretty much after the, the Trump tax cuts juiced the market. Then we got into the trade war with China. The US as well as the global economy started to slow down long before we ever got into, into the, uh, the pandemic. And if you, if you take that pandemic out of it, I really think that we are, we're just in a continuation of that downtrend. And if you look at you know, the trade war that we did with China, a lot of what I'm gonna talk about tonight has to do with the Cold War with, uh, with China. So we, we kind of went from a, a trade war to a Cold War, but it's having the same consequences on the, on the US and global economies. This is from, the, the, it's called the FRED website, but it's the Federal Reserve of St. Louis. Excellent resource. Any, any st statistic that is remotely um, related to the economy is available there. It's all free, and it goes back, in some cases, you know, 100 years. So plenty of data there. I encourage you to do that. It's, it's fred.stlouisfed.org. This is just over the last three years or so, and what I want to point out here is, you know, I showed you that chart. We come out of a recession, the, the, Fed, the Fed cuts rates, and then they start uh, tightening them again. That, that's what happened here. We came out, we got the, the Trump tax cuts, the economy started to get stimulated. The Federal Reserve, I believe, raised rates once in, in, in the, uh, the 10 years from the 2008 financial crisis, right? They, they raised rates in like 2006, and they, I believe, raised them one more time, and then they didn't raise them again until it was like December of 2016. So it was, Obama was still president, but it was after Trump had, had won the election. And then they immediately raised them like three more times. So that was the Fed trying to cool things off. And that is also why we started to see a little bit of a pullback here. But then we went into the pandemic, and the Fed did, and other central banks around the world did what was never done before, where they took interest rates, to, in our case, near zero, basically zero, Countries like Europe, uh, even Japan is still really negative interest rates. Unprecedented. Creates a lot of malinvestment, um, you know, misappropriation of money, zombie companies. And this was great for the stock market though, right? A lot of people um, bought stocks and made money because it made those assets come up. But then reality sets in, we come out of the pandemic, we get hit with hyperinflation as everybody would expect and the Federal Reserve starts raising interest rates. This alone, again, this would convince me that we are going into a recession 
just by how steep that curve is. Uh, and again, if, now if you spread out, so what I just showed you was this. And now we're looking at this over 70 years. And you can see, every, again, these are, these are the recessions where the gray marks are. Every time we have a, a significant increase in interest rates, it generally leads to a recession. Not, not every time, but generally. And that's why the adage on Wall Street is don't fight the Fed. Okay? If the Fed is raising interest rates, that means the economy is going to slow down. We're probably going to have a recession. When they're cutting rates, the stock market is going to probably go back up because the economy will recover. So don't fight the Fed. Again, you would think with as much, you look at that increase compared to these other ones, we should have had a recession by now, but we haven't. So you can also look at that as the Fed creates recessions. Kind of, Matt, you're thinking about pulling us out of the recession. They often pull us out of it, but, but really, the Fed creates recessions. It's sort of what their job is. They tighten things when things get too overheated, and then they loosen them up when they want to try and stimulate it. The business cycle is the cycle, but they try and manipulate it. Yeah, yeah, and that's what they are trying to do is normalize them. The, the, the problem with that, though, is like when you're an alcoholic and you try and get normal by not drinking alcohol, you just can't do it cold turkey, right? You're going to have a hangover or, um, I, don't know what the, I don't know what the term is for addiction, but you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, they, they are, but that doesn't mean that you don't create problems in doing it. And they really are just trying to normalize. The, the problem with that, though, too, is if you see, this is the 1980s. This is when Paul Volcker was the Federal Reserve Chair, Ronald Reagan was president. Look at, look at that decline, right, that angle. We've had rates coming down for 40 years, and we just got to a point where it was, it was beyond, uh, beyond anything realistic. Normal historical rates, if you, go, if you go back, and this is actually something I cover in the book, if you go from that point back to the Civil War, rates were in this 1 to 2 to 3% range for you know, 60 years. Uh, it, it wasn't really until we came out of post-World War II that we started seeing all this craziness. Um, so they are trying to normalize, but the question is, what is normal? Right? And, and now it's just arbitrarily concocted. So th those reasons I showed you, though, that the, um, the leading economic indicators are just totally collapsed, and the fact that interest rates are so high would normally 100% put us in a, in a recession. So why aren't we? Well, it's different this time, and... Like those are like the four or five most dangerous words in economics, right? It's different this time. But we have an immense money supply. We have a deficiency in the labor force. And we have major geopolitical shifts going on. Those things, um, and you may even think that something like the geopolitical side of it would be bad for the economy, but they're actually being very bullish and they're what's supporting the economy right now. M2, so yeah. So, so broadly speaking, M2 money supply, again, Federal Reserve chart, you can find this there. This is uh, going back over the last three years or so. M2 money supply is basically liquid funds available to, to retail people, right, common people. Uh, not necessarily money that would be available to like hedge funds, but the money we have in our checking accounts, our bank accounts, our money market funds at you know, Charles Schwab or wherever you do your brokerage, it's that money that you can put your hands on and you can either use it to, 
to buy a car, buy a house, or buy stocks with. So it's a really good, I also look at M3, but the M2 numbers are updated uh, more frequently. So it's a good indicator of the economy. And again, once it's like anything else, the, when, when the Fed's pumping up and they got lots of money in the system, the economy does well. And then as they start pulling money out, you would think would go into a recession. Think of it a teenager, right? You give, your, you give a teenager $100 and keys to the car, they're not gonna come home until they're out of gas and out of money, right? Same thing with, same thing with consumers in the economy. And this is about a trillion dollar change over a very short period of time. Pretty much unprecedented, you would think we should be in a recession. But why we're not is look at the money supply, right? We've come down a trillion dollars, but in the last three years, we went up about six and a half trillion. Again, unprecedented. There is so much money in the system. In fact, if you draw this out, and, and this is even taking the slope from post-housing crisis of 2008. I mean, we were, we were on a much more gradual thing coming out. Every, every crisis, it gets worse, right? So this was, um, you know, coming out of like the 80s, right? Uh, Bill Clinton was president in the 90s. It was like that. Then we get into the, you know, the dot-com bubble, and then it's the housing crisis, and then we go, we go totally hockey stick, right, with the, with the pandemic. Just crazy amounts of money in the system. But if you... This, this, is, this is just cash. Cash in checking accounts, savings accounts, money market funds, readily available cash. So this is why two years ago, you couldn't go buy a $200,000 RV, right? Because everybody had so much cash. They were just you know, buying them. Every, everything was off the shelves because there was so much money in the system. Um, if, but if you draw out even the more extreme curves that we've had, we're still probably two, two and a half trillion more money in the system, you know, it would take us maybe four, four and a half, five years based on the old rate of growth to get to where we are now. And that's even after we've cut a trillion in the last 12 months. Would you uh, adjusted this against inflation or adjusted it against percent of GDP might be an interesting way of looking at this data? Because I'm imagining that hockey stick that you described at the top is still going to look very odd. Regardless, of Regardless this is going to be crazy. Yes, you can do that. And, and actually, even at the Fed's website, they will do certain things like that. This is in non-seasonal, straight, straight point. But they will even do things with seasonally adjusted or whatever. I personally, if you follow my blog, I don't put charts like this on my blog. I take this data and then I manipulate it. So, so you'll see me show this against the S&P 500 or, or other things like that. But yeah, but that's crazy one way or the other. And And... This just drives the inflation. This, this is the inflation. The other side of it, I talked about the labor force. Not only do we have way too much money in the system, but we don't have enough people working, okay? So again, this is a chart going back over the last 70 years, back to the 1950s. We have been, since, um, since about the dot-com bubble, we've seen lower and lower employment rates. Okay, so this is percentage of people working. You got about 60% of the people are working. And they count that everybody from like 16 to 65 that's healthy, basically, um, that, that wants to work. Yeah, there, there's, there's some obscurities in there. But it's, it's about, I think, I think it's about 260 million people that would be in, included in this kind of figure. If you notice where we are right now, so we, we dropped down, obviously, they shut down the economy, a bunch of people didn't have jobs. 
and this is not unemployment, this is percentage of people in the workforce that are working, okay? So about 60% of them. We're, we're back to levels where we were in the 70s, and this is when the baby boomers were just starting to come on, and, and women, for a large part, were just starting to come into the workforce. So we've lost, over the last 20 years, an immense amount of workers for, for various reasons. Uh, as far as men, since the 1950s, when you used to have, uh, you know, come the manly jobs, right? Steel workers, coal miners, the guys that, that had to have uh, big muscles to do work. As technology came about and you, you had to rely less on your muscles or less on your strength, more and more men came out of the workforce. And it's really, at this point, um, uh, you know, chronic. It's, it's a major issue. That's been happening a long time. But what's unique over these last three years is because of the pandemic, it forced a lot of the baby boomers to retire early. They're probably never going back into the marketplace. And then a, a lot of women that would be caregivers or things like that, they've come out and have not gone, they've gone back into the workforce, but still not at the levels they were. And that was plateauing anyways. We'd gotten all the efficiency out of it. So if you see in the news, they'll say, you know, our productivity is really down bad. It's because we just don't have the qualified people in the workforce. And that's the reason that um, is driving us from not being in a recession is that one of the key, key events that doesn't predict the recession, but it happens along with the recession, it's coincident with the recession, happens simultaneously, is the unemployment rate. And if you hear them talk in the news, they'll talk about the Federal Reserve is trying to raise the unemployment rate. You say, well, why would they want to do that? Well, that's ultimately how you cool off the economy, right? You can raise rates all you want. Bill Gates is still going to go buy a yacht, right? You can raise rates all you want, and uh, Elon Musk is still going to go buy a spaceship or something, right? Those, those guys have money. You're not, they don't care about it. It's the, it's the regular workers that you want to cool off the economy with, and the way you do that is you get them unemployed. And every time the unemployment rate goes up a tick, we go into a recession, right? Every time. And it's, it's not, some people will argue, well, we can't go into a recession now because we're at historically low unemployment rates. doesn't matter. And we were there back in the 50s. But once, once people start getting unemployed, the recession hits. And that's because, and Eric, we were talking about this earlier, about the cars and people spending money and houses they can't afford. The American consumer will spend money until they don't have any. Right? So when they lose their job and they max out their credit cards, that's the only thing that will make them stop spending. And for now, because we don't have people in the labor force, we have about one and a half to two times as many jobs uh, as, as people looking for them. And so we may not see a recession if we don't get that uptick in unemployment. No. Not, not, not specifically. Probably, I, yeah, I haven't thought through that, but probably, probably because of, uh, I mean, certainly the men, right? The men have come out of the workforce when productivity has gone through the roof. The other thing I talked about as, as being a factor that's keeping this recession off is the geopolitical shifts, okay? And, and I have shifts because there's a lot of them. We've got the, I mentioned with China, it went from a trade war to now a cold war with China. We got a hot war in Ukraine that literally we've seen nothing like this for at least 80 years. And you can argue it's even more like trench warfare that we haven't seen since World War I. Um, these are having 
major impacts, not only in the US, but around the world as far as building infrastructure, uh, maintaining and reinvesting in weapon systems, you know, all these events that governments and big industry have to keep putting money into the system. Um, we're, we're seeing this too as, and kind of as an offshoot uh, of that, we're seeing a lot of what people are calling deglobalization. I don't think that's the right term because we're not going to deglobalize, but we, I think we've seen peak globalization, right? We're still going to be a global economies, but I think we've saw as much, um, you know, international trade between us and Asia as we are going to see. And so there's a lot of reshoring going on. You have the energy transition to whether it's um, recyclables or even, or excuse me, uh, renewables, as well as like just getting more into natural gas. We, the United States has the lowest priced natural gas in the world and more and more industries are building to take advantage of that. So if you've been on the Gulf Coast in like Louisiana, um, Texas area, that the infrastructure that has been be, being built there in the last 10 or 15 years is unbelievable. That's what's, all that business spending is keeping this economy afloat. And even though I showed you with the Federal Reserve pulling money out of the system and raising rates, this chart is government spending. Just in the last six to 12 months, government spending is still going up. Okay, so we have the, remember the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation, uh, all that stuff. That's, that's just more and more spending. It's stimulating the economy and it's counter to what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. So, you know, will we have a recession or not? My best gut feel is we do, right? It's, it's, we have to have a recession because the Federal Reserve wants to not have a hyperinflation problem. We had a major inflationary problem in the late 19, well, really all through the 70s and into the early 80s. Paul Volcker came in, that's, uh, you guys aren't old enough to remember, but they, they came in and raised rates to like 18%. It was unbelievable. Uh, but they, they nipped it in the bud and they stopped inflation. And that's really why you saw that chart where interest rates have been coming down since the 80s. That was the effect of what they did. I mean, they really bit the bullet and they took all that inflation out of the system. That along with globalization and the collapse of the Soviet Union, which opened up world trade, you know, all those things added to it. But right now, we're going the other way, right? We're going back to a Cold War. We're going back to um, more industrial policies where countries have more um, internal controls on capital, more regulations of trade, and we're trying to raise interest rates. So I think that we do have a recession simply to stop recession, or excuse me, to, to stop inflation. And in the 70s, and you'll hear people say this now, that well, you know, we're headed to, to stagflation. Stagflation was a big word in the 70s. It's where we had stagnant growth and inflation. And I think it's worse than that. This is why I think they're really gonna double down and cause the recession to stop inflation because we're not gonna have stagflation. We're gonna have contraction of the economy and inflation, right? So it's gonna be conflation, I guess you'd call it, conflation. The reason we had stagnation back in the 70s was because we continue to have population growth. Today, globally, we have no population growth. Okay, the only countries that are basically having enough children to populate are countries that can't afford to feed them. So like Sub-Saharan Africa, some of the Muslim countries. But if you look at not only just the industrialized countries, but even developing nations, virtually no one's having kids. Um, if you look at, uh, I, I saw some demographics the other day on China, potentially in the next 30 to 60 years, based on current trends, 
say in the next 60 years, the US and China could have the same population. Because the little bit that we're growing and the major amount that they're decreasing over two generations could put us at the same amount of people. Kind of hard to get your head around, but post-World War II, right, pretty much these charts I've been showing from, that was obviously in the 46, 45, I've been showing charts through the 50s. But since World War II ended, there was only about 2.3, 2.5 billion people in the world. Today, there's 8 billion, right? So during that 70s, the economy grew no matter what happened just because all these people were being born, right? China had about 100 million more people after World War II than we have today, right? They were 400 million people approximately after World War II. Today, they're 1.4 billion. No one's having that many kids anymore. When you're having kids, you need diapers, you need to build schools, you need to have cars. They, they grow up, they go to college, right? All those things drive the economy. We don't have that happening anymore. So if we don't nip this inflation in the bud now, we're gonna have a contracting economy and high inflation. So I think the Fed is gonna put the brakes on. The question though is when? And this gets into politics. I'm gonna say something here that is real politique, I guess is the way you say it. When I do this on my podcast or different things, people think I'm being political. Listen, I'm agnostic when it comes to politics. My goal is to just make more money. I don't, I don't care who's in office. Uh, but I'll show you, this is that chart over 72 year period. There's been 11 recessions, okay, in 72 years. Four of them occurred, again, these are the recessions. These are presidential election years, these little gold things. Four recessions happened during a presidential election in the past 72 years. 100% of the time, the party that was in office when there was a recession didn't either get reelected or their party lost the White House, okay? Three of those happened to be Republicans. The only one that was Democratic was uh, uh, Carter, okay? So, and you can see it changes from red to blue, red to blue every time there's a, there's a recession during an election. So my cynical mind says that if I'm smart enough to figure, this is my own chart, right? this is on my website. I haven't seen anybody else do this. If I'm smart enough to figure this out, I gotta believe that Joe Biden is smart enough to figure this out, or at least who controls Joe Biden is smart enough to figure this out, right? And so as I showed you in previous charts, the Federal Reserve pretty much raises interest rates and starts recessions. So they have the power not to totally manipulate the business cycle, but to either make it sooner or later. With the Federal Reserve's power, and if you were a sitting president and your secretary of treasury was the former chair of the Federal Reserve, right before Jay Powell was the chair of the Fed, it was Janet Yellen. She's now running the treasury for President Biden. This lady is, her name is Lyle Brainerd. She is the heir apparent to be the next Federal Reserve chair. That tees up again in 2026. Um, she was up until maybe six weeks, a couple of months ago, she was the co-chair. She was the number two person at the Federal Reserve. She left the Federal Reserve and President Biden appointed her to be his uh, director of National Economic Council. That's basically the team that sets his agenda, his economic agenda. So I think we would be naive, whatever we want to believe about politics, we would be naive to believe that people are aligning themselves with the Federal Reserve or the, or, or the Federal Reserve is aligning themselves with a particular party. Now, it depends on how you want to look at that. But with that being the case, 
if I was Joe Biden and I wanted to get reelected, I wouldn't have a recession, right? I would, I would have them delay that as long as they can. So uh, again, they can do that because all the government spending is going on. The other things I showed you with the, um, the unemployment, you know, people still have jobs. As long as the Federal Reserve, and we've paused rates right now, as long as the Federal Reserve keeps them restricted, we can sort of keep inflation at bay, but at some point they are gonna have to crash the economy. Uh, I think if that happens this year, it's gotta happen soon. Again, I thought it was gonna happen February or March. Um, it's gotta happen sometime in the next couple of weeks to months because it needs to be over by March or April of next year. But the voters are not very smart, they'll forget. If, if we have a bad recession over the winter and in the spring, as long as it's over by spring of next year, that gives plenty of time for the government to you know, hand out more helicopter money and get people thinking that the economy is really good, stock market will go up. Obviously all the government e econom economics people and economic professors in the academia and you know, all those people will support it. So if we have a recession, it's gotta happen soon. It's gotta be over by next spring. And if we don't, then I don't think it happens until after the election, which would be December of 2024. But I do think we have to have a recession just to get a uh, recession or to get, keep saying recession, to get the inflation down. And I didn't put a chart up of, in, of inflation, but we're at about 5% core inflation, way too high given our growth rates. And that's taking out things like gas and food that can be variable. If the war in Ukraine gets worse, food prices and gas prices will go higher again. But just that core inflation, people's wages, all the higher prices we pay for everything, we just can't sustain it at 5%. For the last 20 years, the US economy at best has grown at 2%, other than during the hysteria of the pandemic when they, when they goosed everything, right? For 20 years, we've been growing at about 2% or less. You can't have 5% inflation if your economy is only growing at 2%. So again, business cycle, same old thing. Federal Reserve is tightening now. You know, we've had the unwind of this stuff. People have moved into healthcare stocks and staples and we're seeing energy prices come down now. Fed's tightening. I, I think they hover us here until we do get into that panic over the next 12 to 18 months. But the good news on all this, and this gets back to the book, I talked about this way back then, the same trends I talked about the, the reshoring, I didn't know there was gonna be a cold war with China, so I didn't necessarily talk about that, but I talked about the fact that our energy costs are so low in the United States because of fracking and all the natural gas we have now, because of automation, taking cheap labor out of the equation, all that stuff was coming back to the United States anyways, right? It was just gonna take a little bit of time. COVID helped pull that forward. Um, I think for North America going forward, uh, you know, because of automation, because of the, huge amounts of natural gas we have because of all the technologies, man, there are gonna be some huge bright spots in the economy. It may not be, you know, we don't know which industrials or which tech companies exactly. We don't know which, which energy it's gonna go, right? Is it gonna be lithium batteries? Is it gonna be nuclear energy? We don't know where it's gonna go yet, but there are huge investing opportunities. And you know, to you guys that are younger, man, I, I wish I was 25 years old because from a career standpoint and from an investing standpoint, I don't think we've ever had better times in terms of prosperity. So there it is. And then one additional thing I'd like to follow up with is that I talked about prosperity there. I was mostly talking about prosperity for the long term, but don't get me wrong. I also think 
There's going to be a lot of near-term prosperity. We just need to get through whether or not the Federal Reserve does or doesn't decide to have a recession. But once this is all over, and especially if there's a recession, and even if it's just a minor one, what recessions do is they clear the deck. And so that'll allow companies, which right now are struggling with profitability, to be much more profitable. They'll downsize their employees, they'll right-size their organizations, and as a result of that, in about 18 months to maybe 24 months, I would expect the S&P 500 to putting in record profits and being well on their way to the next bull market. Well, hey, as always, let's see how it works out. Until then, come on back for future episodes. This is John Pagliano wishing you the very best returns.